We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone, welcome to another episode of Red and Buried Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Frankie. And we have the fantastic Chris Hottie with us today. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Hey, thank you for joining us. Are you America-based, I'm assuming? I am America-based, American-born, and live in Los <laughs> Angeles. So it's early for you, I'm I'm guessing. Not too bad. 10 a.m. So I've had my swim and my coffee and my newspaper. Oh, wow. You have to make sure the world is still with us here on the internet and all is is well. (laughs) Yes. So it's, and it's uh, a cocktail time for you, ladies. All right. (laughs) That's 10 a.m. for Sarah usually, but yes. Oh, well, you know, I know Frankie makes me wait until we finish recording, I'm afraid. No no, uh, podcasting under the influence then. No PUI. No, I get myself in enough trouble <laughs> sober, so I can yeah. only imagine if I'd I had I encourage to... <laughs> you to start early. It would be more fun that way. <laughs> <laughs> I am off work this week, so yeah, uh, I've missed an opportunity today. You don't know what you're what you're inviting, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a special episode one day. Just me drunk. Frankie doesn't drink, so Pandora's yep. box. Very yeah. much. <laughs> well, speaking of where you are, where you're from and all that, I've got a little bio I'm gonna read out about you Beautiful. now. Uh, all of these things are taken from the internet, so I hope they are accurate. You can correct me if anything's horribly well, wrong. Feel free to embellish, but go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I don't think I, I don't really need to embellish because it's already very impressive. Thank you. So, Thank you. so here we go. Chris Hotty is the best-selling author of the Haley Chill thriller series. Born in San Antonio, Texas, but raised in Delaware, he attended Reed College and after graduation, moved to New York, where he started writing plays and supported himself working as a graphic artist and a bike messenger. He had several of his plays produced off-off-Broadway and sold Don Coyote, his first screenplay, to 20th Century Fox, which triggered his move to Hollywood. He would spend more than three decades working as a screenwriter, working in nearly all genres with every major movie studio. In his latest book, The Devil You Know, an associate judge of the Supreme Court is dead, killed by the very police officer assigned to protect him. As shockwaves ripple through the country, Haley Chill's superiors suspect the assassination is only one part of a major conspiracy. When a busload of children is taken hostage in Maui and a vacationing justice's death is demanded as a ransom, Haley leaps into action. Together with a deputy US marshal, she embarks on a monumental task of rescuing the children while also protecting the justice. But with danger around every corner and no one to trust, has she finally bitten off more than she can chew? Outside of writing, Chris currently lives in Venice, California, in the company of a classic Triumph motorcycle and a feral cat. As well as being very kind and generous with his time, Chris also makes the most entertaining and unique promotional videos for his books that we've ever seen. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Who, I got to meet this guy. <laughs> he's very impressive. He's, uh, he's the total package. I like this. Sounds like it. <laughs> I mean, I have to ask about the feral cat because I have one myself. Uh, how did you come into possession of him or her? Well, it was, uh, I think, living under the house. It was a young kitten, which is how I think uh, it was able to be somewhat partially domesticated. <laughs> so I would, I, it would never come near me, but then I started putting a bowl of food at the, at the open door. And then I would move the bowl of food closer and closer inside the house. And 
After about six months, the cat was, uh, you know, sitting in my lap watching baseball games with me, but never slept inside the house. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is a there is a sad, sad ending to oh, the no. cat story. Oh no, he's the cat dead. <laughs> Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I have moved from Venice, California, which is a beach community, to, uh, well, the hills between Pasadena and Glendale, which is pretty radically different from the beach. And I brought the cat Are with me because taste? there was nowhere else really for the cat to go. Oh. And this area is, uh, I share this area with a lot of wild animals. Uh -huh. coyotes owls i think there's a bear mm -hmm. in the hills above me <laughs> so oh, no. the cat the cat's name was cat and cat lasted about two weeks and never came home one night so oh i'm so oh, sorry to bring God. up Frankie, why would you include the poor cat in the biography I I write, because it was uh, such a charming feature so you know sometimes <laughs> characters have to get killed off so <laughs> Okay, I regret asking. Sorry, I'm going to update that bio. <laughs> yes. Stalling crossbones on the back of my bio. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Oh. Or just put like a warning, do not ask about the cat. <laughs> That's a good idea. I'll send that out to all my publicists, all my various publicists. Perfect. Oh, poor I'm so cat. I'm very sorry for your loss, <laughs> and I'm sorry that we brought it up and triggered. That's okay. I appreciate that. And, and the Triumph motorcycle is up for sale. I'm, I'm oh. thinking about getting a little Brit sports car, a little TR6 or something instead. Ooh. Nice. Oh, yeah, you need a whole new bio. Frankie can write one yeah, for you. All right. Sure. Hired. <laughs> I yeah. did so well with this one, so why wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, off to a great start with the questions <laughs> on that one. So I'm curious. So we've we've spoken to other authors who have started as screenwriters as well. Robert Crace, for example, was another one. Um, and I'm really curious to hear about how your process of writing thriller books varies to your script writing background. Is there much difference? Well, um, I, I had been writing screenplays for three decades and, and exclusively uh, screenplays. Before that, I wrote, as you said in your bio, a little theater, and before that, some poetry, and before that, some short stories. But really, for three decades, it was only screenplays. And um, I really didn't know what I was doing when I sat down to start writing one. I took a story that I had considered writing as a screenplay and, and the movie business is only getting worse, but five years ago was beginning to get quite challenged. So with the encouragement of another screenwriter, I decided to write it as a book. And I didn't really know the rules. I didn't Honestly, I, I didn't have time to, to read tons of sort of examples of the kind of thriller I might imitate. So I guess that was a good thing because I really just did it my way. I just kind of, I honestly, I just winged it. And, um, you know, the first couple of days I was a little tenuous about it and hesitant. And then the more I did it, by the end of the week, I just felt so much more freedom as a novelist, just in terms of what I could write about, what I could not just write about, but how I could write it, how I could tell my story. So I think I brought a lot of, I brought a lot of my baggage or skill set or whatever you want to call it from the movie world, uh, just in, in the sense of 
certainly my story structure and how I build scenes. I, I can't shake, you know, all that screenwriting I did, but I, I think that's good because I like a the kind of books that I do read uh, and have read and enjoyed. I mean, my earliest literary hero was, you know, no, no big surprise, Ernest Hemingway when I was a, a teenager. And, um, you know, in that, just that clean prose and, and succinct and getting to the point, not a lot of adornment. Uh, and that's all kind of dovetails with the way that screenwriting goes down. And I think that's translated to my book writing. So I, I kind of get things quickly. You know, that's part of the genre, too. That's not so special. But mm -hmm. also just kind of some of the little stylistic elements that I brought in, like the foretelling of secondary characters. I didn't do a lot of that in the in the most recent book, but there's some, you know, but it really is essentially just the same. I don't know what Robert Cray said, but, um, you know, it's it's sitting down in front of the computer at 9 a.m. And, and, you know, kind of just I, I usually know where I'm going in the day in terms of an outline. And and that's it. You know, I, instead, the words go from margin to margin instead of only, a, you know, a halfway there. So I guess it's pretty similar. Telling stories, creating characters. Yeah, I think you've, you're, you're absolutely right. The skill set is very beneficial to clearly how you do it, because it, what the result is a very perfectly paced read that, you know, is it's compulsive and keeps moving. And I think that's why it makes for such an engaging book to read because it, it's like watching a film and you write very cinematically in that respect. Mm -hmm. Like you, you've created a very visual world mm -hmm. within your writing. So I'm inclined to, I think you're quite oh, good. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> I appreciate that. I do. <laughs> you know, I, I do think, um, well, a couple of things, but uh, to, to that original point, you know, I, I've said this a, a, a billion times, but not so often in the UK. So I'll say it again. People in Hollywood, certainly the people who make decisions, uh, whether to buy a screenplay or to make a movie or to act in a movie or whatever, all, all that stuff, they all hate to read, you know, so <laughs> they do. I mean, my first job in Hollywood and the most writers, many of them, their first job in Hollywood is as a script reader because they don't want people don't want to read the screenplay. They say it's because they're too busy and far too important. But in reality, they just don't read. Go into their homes. You won't find bookshelves. <laughs> Consequently, you have to really grab them. You have to not just, you know, we've heard a million times that you have to write the first, write the shit out of the first 10 pages and really grab them. But you got to follow through, man, because if it's 10 great pages and then in like by page 15, you're not keeping them in your grip, they're going to toss it on the pile because or off the pile because there's a stack right next to them of screenplays they need to read. And and I and I really that's probably the primary uh, impulse that I've brought into uh, writing books is is the you know having that muscle to writing muscle to to really hold on to your reader and not give them too much not give them too little and keep things rolling you know good muscle flex yeah always flexing <laughs> <laughs> always be flexing. <laughs> that's interesting though i suppose that's why um crime thriller genre of novels is so hugely popular it is that genre that grabs you from the outset isn't it more so than any other type of novel you might read yeah and i think uh, you know everyone's time is becoming more precious everyone's attentions are becoming more divided 
uh, you know, it's the era of TikTok and and Snapchat and and Twitter and how many characters are we allowed on Twitter now? But yeah, I, I mean, it, it it is suited for that for people to you know short chapters. When I first started out uh, with the first book, I wrote longer chapters, and and you know some readers complained about the length of my 20 page chapters. And I see some guys will like write like quarter page or half page chapters, which I'm not willing to go there yet. But so yeah, I think, you know, you read these things and uh, in snap, you snatch a read and you read a quick chapter and then proceed with, you know, getting your kid to bed or whatever it might be. And or if you can like, you know, if you can get someone's three hours of time, you know, write a book that that can be consumed and you know, if not one night and two nights. Mm, yeah. Or a couple of commutes to the office. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the questions that we ask in every interview is what you enjoy most and least about the writing process. And I know you kind of touched on it slightly already, but what is it around the novel writing process that you like and hate? It, I, these likes and, and dislikes are, are uh, shared by both my book writing career and my screenwriting career. I love, I don't mind. I, I usually build some form of an outline. I'm, I'm becoming less dependent on the outline as I, with each book, but I still have a pretty general outline in the sense of one or two pages of, of, uh, of just bullet points, but the outlining isn't so bad because you're kind of seeing the thing, you know, completely and, and sort of having a vision for it. But I really enjoy the first draft. Mm. You know, if, if if I'm really uh, in the zone, so to speak, it really, you know, it's just a, the best feeling. It really just kind of jumps out. And the best things I've written generally have been, I know I'm writing well when it's just effortless and, and it's just mm. really kind of pouring out. And I'm learning stuff as it goes down on the page. Um, because my outlines are so threadbare, it's like, oh, geez, that's really good. Or I, you know, I get excited or I laugh or I cry, not too often, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then the, uh, uh, conversely, all subsequent drafts are, are kind of drudgery. Um, because, you know, I don't feel that, I don't feel that for one thing, it's, it's hard, you, you know, you're just slapping it down, like on that, you know, Jackson Pollock style in that first draft, and you're feeling all that excitement and whatnot, and then and then you have to read it. And uh, it can be quite <laughs> difficult sometimes to just figure out how to make this. I know what I'm trying to say, almost always, 99.9%. .9%. Sometimes I'm like, yeah. what the hell was I trying to do here? But um, <laughs> more often than not, it's just trying to make it you know, make that prose as clear as possible. I, you know, I'm a, I, that's my, one of my pet peeves is if I don't know what the author intends in with their words, I'm just like, well, Jesus, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> what am I supposed to take away from this? Yeah. So that can just be really laborious. I mean, 90,000 words. And if, if half of them are clear and well written. Forget about adding story or character or any of that stuff. It's just making the prose read good. You know, mm -hmm. that's hard work. So that's my least favorite. But you know, like the book I'm working on now, I've I've finished the first draft. The agents have read it, and I'm just setting it aside for a month, and then I'll get back to it and incorporate their notes. 
And I think that will be better because I've done all that laborious polishing and now it'll be kind of augmenting the book, making it better, changing characters somewhat to suit, you know, the people smarter than me, what they've decided. (laughs) (laughs) And when you've set it aside, you've got your month off from it at the moment. Do you work on something else or do you stay in the headspace? Oh, no, I don't work on it. (laughs) It's a break for you. My my son is graduating from medical school this week. And then the next week uh, we're, you know, the book comes out. So there's lots of wonderful events and tasks like the one we're engaged in right now. And, (laughs) you know, it's just, it worked out perfectly where I could really, you know, kind of just step away because I I think it needs for me to like precisely for that reason to go back, kind of re-energize, more excited. And honestly, I kind of forget stuff, you know, like I'm, so I can read it almost fresh as opposed to when I'm polishing the thing, I'll read it to the very end, and then I'll just go right back to page one and start again. And that I probably did about five of those, four or five of those for the current book. The first book, wow. I didn't do that at all. Deep State, I just like, I did, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I, Perfect. I didn't really expect people would read it. Um, you know, my hope was that I would be able to get a literary agent with it. And um, yeah, and it just, you know, it was one of those happy uh uh, exceeded my expectations type of situations, which <laughs> don't happen often, but uh, very pleasant yeah. when they do that. A happy little accident. Yeah. Have you ever come back to it after one of these breaks and changed something really major? Any of your books, not just this one, or are you always pretty set in how it's I would say that the, this will be the one where I'm probably making the biggest changes. My, um, geez, I can't really get into this. Um, <laughs> The nature yeah. of this book, I would say I'm trying to be purposefully vague <laughs> on orders of okay. all the powers that be. Typically, my editor, I know how I can phrase this. My editor typically, you, you know, she's uh, Emily Bessler has her own imprint at uh, Atria Books and and um, she's great. And and that is one of the really, really happy contrasts with the movie business, because the movie business is collaborative, which is a nice word of uh, way of saying um, they can fuck with anything that you uh, you write. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's what they call collaboration. But, um, you know, Emily uh, really would, she just is very supportive and, and her changes would be relatively small, nothing like major story elements or character notes or anything, usually just kind of making things clearer and and spending a little more time uh, on a particular scene. Well, it's interesting because uh, we've had quite a lot of authors say to us previously that one of the things that they, I don't think they went as far as hate, but didn't (laughs) love is when they start getting feedback on their drafts and it can sometimes feel a little bit off. But I'm guessing you've had quite a lot of experience with that with oh, the yeah. screenwriting. Oh, yeah. Was it easier? It's <laughs> easier to no get to idea. that point now. They're, they're a bunch of babies. They have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I have a rhinoceros skin. They have no, literally no idea. I, I, I don't know why screenwriters, many of the writers in town here who, who are probably currently marching around the block of Warner Brothers and Sony Studios, because we're on strike. I'm still a member of the Writers Guild. Mm. I don't know why they don't get into the book game, because it's so much better. And so (laughs) as far as my fellow authors who are complaining about getting feedback on their books, (laughs) 
I think it was more that they just have to keep reading their own books over and over and over again. And, and I think there's a little bit of sensitivity when that one character or an element they think is perfect and they've been told it's not. And yeah. that's like, oh, do you ever get Knife that kind of heart. possessiveness with a character or a detail? Yeah, I'm exp- I mean, I definitely experienced that with this current book because normally I wouldn't give it to my... I have a film agent and I have a book agent. My film agent I've been with for probably 32 years or something. Uh, my book agent for just a couple. And I and my book agent, his name is Dan Conaway. And I, and I, you know, he has a lot of experience in the book business. He's been an editor and agent and, and he's been around a while. And, um, you know, I trust his judgment about this stuff. He had like four or five fairly... I mean, they weren't substantial notes, uh, um, but one was like, I think I can say this. It was like he suggested that instead of setting in present day, I set it like 20 or 30 years earlier. And for reasons that one day will become apparent, but I'm not going to tell you now. But <laughs> We'll wait. You know, we're, we're, I, we, I, I, you know, I consider both of us professionals and we had a good discussion about it and. I, I have ultimate say. It's my work of uh, of art, and and I convinced him. Though I had reasons, it wasn't just because I was being a little pissant uh, artist <laughs> writer, but because I, I had a good reason. Um, and this was, you know, this was not an alternate history book. It was something different, or is something different. So, but you know, he had ideas about a, you know, one of my main characters. He thought it could be. He could be drawn in a, in a substantially different way. And and I agree, you know, it's going to be a better book for it. And and as long as I've put eight months of pretty much six day a week effort into it, I thought that I should put in the work. So I don't I don't mind that as long as you as long as you I don't have a wide circle. I mean, I know some authors like have beta readers and and writing groups and all that. I don't do that. I, I It's like one or two trusted readers, professionals, whose advice I rely on. It's just the same way as if they were my doctor or lawyer or whatever. So I don't mind that yeah. part. We have to please have you back when the next book is published so we can get more information yeah. about these changes. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, gonna, it's, a, it's a good one. It's a good one. Brilliant. <laughs> Is it another one in the same series or is it a standalone? I, okay. <laughs> say no more. I ask no more questions. <laughs> I can't say that. It could be one way or the other, but um intriguing. Here here's how you take here's how you can receive notes uh that uh that go down easy. And he prefaced the his his email with his notes by saying seismic potential. So like you had me at seismic potential, <laughs> yeah. huge commercial possibilities. It's like, you can say anything. Go on. Come at yeah. me. I don't care. I'll, I'll write well till framed. the cows come home. Yeah. So I, I'm excited about it. It's, it's, it's a really, it's going to be a cool book. And, and um, so I'm very excited. Sounds exciting. And well, let's not get too far ahead. Let's stick with this book for now. Yeah, we're allowed that. to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and your series in general. Uh, so this is the fifth. In the series, is four. that correct? Number, well, four point five because I wrote a novella between. Yeah, I think that's why I was counting. Uh, yeah. yeah, between the second and third book, and they're somewhat. 
I mean, there's there's a fair amount of connective tissue between the books. They're somewhat serialized. I would say this for, this fourth book is definitely by far the most standalone because the first 3.5 books they had a they had very much a an, uh, an ongoing serialized narrative thread about my protagonist's protagonist's father and her relationship with the father and the mystery behind his death and who he was and 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 but this fourth book she's done with that that's in the past and she's in a little bit of rough shape from from what, from everything she experienced in the third book in Storm Rising so it it's um I I love this book and people uh, the devil you know people seem to there there there's there's uh, early reads there's a real appreciation for it because it it really I wrote it very much it's just kind of a straightforward thriller uh Storm Rising had um I wrote Storm Rising in the in 2020 which I know on your side of uh, the Atlantic things were a little rough and things were a little rough here. And so I, that book I wrote just had to be, you know, had to reflect that. I don't know how the hell you just kind of write your usual, whatever it might be. <laughs> so it was dark and it was, you know, the, the, the major theme of that book was white, white supremacy and the U S military. And, and it was exhausting to write. And um, uh, it was an exhausting year to, uh, or a year or two to live through. And so after that, coming out of that, I, I really wanted to write just a straightforward kind of balls out thriller. And, and I think that's what has happened with the devil, you know, Oh, definitely. And I think that's, you've made a really good point. I think you can pick this book up and still enjoy it, appreciate it, get everything you need about the characters without necessarily having read the whole series. Yes. It's still very, very enjoyable and compelling. Yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. a great access route for a new reader. You as might well. have some question of like, I mean, her, Haley Chill, her association with, is it, you only read that book, right? You've only read The Devil You Know, you guys? So did I mean, you, yeah, was I'm it clear so. enough to you who Haley Chill was and who she worked yeah, for? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. I think anybody could pick that up and get it pretty quickly yeah. and then get into the story. Yeah. So no. Because the first, obviously the first book and even the second book are all part of the kind of like establishing almost the, like, like in a way, the origin story of Haley Chill. And, and I, I can, I think I can categorically say here on this podcast that the um this is not you know book four of the Haley chill series is not the, well not the last we'll see of her okay excellent i'm also now very much looking forward to going back and reading the first three and getting the backstory yeah. and the like a prequel the story <laughs> and yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> I'm also yeah. really curious when you when you wrote the first one deep state was the first in the series mm -hmm. When you started that first book, did you see it as a series or did you see it as a standalone when you had the time of writing? Well, you know, uh, getting back to what I said before about not knowing what I was doing, uh, I, I had no idea. So, I, no, I wrote it as a standalone. Again, this is another happy accident. And, and my agent sent it to Emily Bessler. She was the first, Emily was the first submission 
And she read half of it and responded to my agent with an email saying, I love this. Well, what's his idea for the next one? I had no idea, Brilliant. but you know, she was, I already come from a, a world where, you know, Hollywood had already, you know, in the last 10, 15 years had become a world of franchises. So I think it was just kind of built in to me to to write a character that was franchisable. I mean, um, so it was like really easy to come up with an idea for a next one. And and I quickly and happily realized, unlike the movie business, Emily wasn't looking for a, you know, 14-page treatment of the next one, but essentially you know, what I think I said was um, uh, cyber warfare cripples America or something like that. And, um, you know, she was like, love it. You know, great. Let's go. Great. So, <laughs> I, I'm like, well, did I, so someone pinch me. Did I die? <laughs> Is this heaven? <laughs> this feels like heaven. I feel like you should be going down to the picket lines and just sort of handing out leaflets about how much better it is to be an or, author. Or, or, maybe, or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, oh <my> God. <laughs> I've, I've might been flood through, the market. This, is, this would be my third strike. And, and um, uh, when I, I started in Hollywood in 1987 and a year later, we were, we had like a, I can't, I think it was four or five months strike. And, uh, and oh, then wow. again in 2007, 2008. So it's not yeah. fun. And yeah. I can't say that I uh, regret my pivot. Uh, I made the pivot into full-time book writing. I mean, I had already decided, by, even before I wrote, uh, sold the first book, I was like, I love doing this. I'm, I want to keep doing this. Yeah. So pretty much... You, you know, pretty much except for the adaptation of my own books, I, I, I think um, I'm ready to hang up my picket sign or uh, leave it to the next next gen, you know? Yeah. Well, but an adaptation would be fantastic. Yes. So. Yeah. And we're, 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 <laughs> we were in discussions that are now uh, on hold until the writer's strike is over. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, obviously, we're, we're talking mainly about The Devil You Know, um, but there's so many rich kind of characters in it. And it also, as as I said, mentioned in the little bio bit that I read out, she's not, she's not completely alone on this journey. She's got um, the uh, Deputy U.S. Marshal mm -hmm. to, to kind of bounce off and work with. How do you kind of go about including new kind of building relationships with characters that are so existing and you've obviously built worlds around Haley already and her backstory? How do you then go and introduce a new one? Is that is that a, a daunting process or does it feel natural in line with the narrative? Well, I sort of, I like it because I know other series, they'll build characters that recur from book to book or and sometimes those characters might take a more prominent role than your franchise character. I guess this is more the Jack Reacher, you know, kind of mm -hmm. subgenre of of uh, thriller protagonists in the, in the sense that she there's really except for family members that kind of are mentioned or might uh make an appearance there's only one character who recurs from book to book and that's essentially kind of her handler mm. and he doesn't have much of a presence it's just more fun for me you know a series is hard enough to make it new and if you're not 
if you're carrying forward a handful of characters as opposed to just one, I think mm-hmm. it gets it gets um, a little it risks getting repetitive. Um, so I, I enjoy you know creating. In each book, she has sort of a a new partner, and in the past, I can't speak to the current book because I don't want to spoil it. But uh, you know, her partners have a have, they have a high mortality rate, and uh, <laughs> so, so there's no question of bringing them forward. In the first book, I don't think it's a huge spoiler that Haley has a tendency when she drinks. That's displayed in the in the in this book, isn't it? I, I think so. Of drinking and then um, getting a little frisky. <laughs> so that was uh, the best of us. <laughs> um, but um, I had in the first book, she 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 makes an unfortunate boyfriend of a secret service agent, and. Um, no, I, I'm getting confused. I'm conflating. She, uh, it's, I think it's in the second book. She makes a boyfriend of a of a firefighter, and unlike other the boyfriend in the first book, this this guy's a really good guy. And um, <laughs> and then uh, at some point, either at the end of the second book or beginning of the third, um, I reveal that 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 guy. Uh, they ended up breaking up, and people gave me a really hard time about that. Like, oh, I can't believe <laughs> emotional it. investment. You no, know, I can't believe she's you know because people really like this dude, this firefighter in DC. <laughs> and I was like, man, that is not the stuff of drama, you know. Like if she's in a stable relationship, happily ever after. <laughs> maybe, yeah. uh, maybe on certain uh, cable channels, but not the, not the not my book. So <laughs> she's a bit of a lone wolf. I you know she's a samurai warrior. I don't. I don't see her kind of always having a team. She's not a team. It's not a Mission Impossible thing. She's alone. I like that. Yeah, I like that about her character. She does have her. She does have her sidekick. You know, I don't. Is it a spoiler? Mm-hmm. Or the the April character. You know, I don't think that's a big spoiler. Yeah, so that's okay. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. It's she was a character. April Wu was a character that is from the first and second book mainly as a rival in, in her training, they were the two top candidates. And, and they were, so they had a rivalry that initiated with, I think Haley breaking uh, April's finger in a, in a little, little <laughs> mix up in the cafeteria. But anyway, <laughs> they become <laughs> quite close. Uh, as rivals sometimes do, they became quite close. And then this is a spoiler. I can't really get into this. Something happens okay. with April, and and but she, yes. I, we don't lose her forever through a little literary device that has been used since uh, Willie Shakespeare's time. So I'm probably <laughs> you didn't move her to Pasadena no, like your poor cat. No, yeah, the coyotes didn't get her. No, no. Good. Oh. <laughs> Glad yeah. to hear that. And speaking of characters and characters from your books, another question we like to ask is. If you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why? Hmm. Well, I, I think um, the third book, Storm Rising, remember I was talking about her, her, her partners who, mm-hmm. with the uncertain mortality uh, rate, yeah. uh, the Reeves <laughs> County Deputy Sheriff Jay Gibbs is a, I loved writing that character. He is a, he's a deputy sheriff in a kind of, very rural part of of West Texas, and he's kind of investigating some of the 
um, some of the bad things that are happening out in that country. At the same time, Haley shows up, you know, kind of fish out of the water, out of water from Washington, D.C. And so they make a real unlikely pair. And um, he's just a great character. He lives kind of in his parents' house with the screen door that bangs in the wind and and drives a big, you know, <laughs> sheriff's deputy SUV. And and he's he's a fellow of, of not too many words, unlike me. And um, but he does like me. He want he want he wants to be a thriller writer, and so he reads a lot of paperback, you know, thriller novels, and aspires to being uh, a writer. And he proves to be a real boon to Haley in her quest in that book, Storm Rising. And he and he has a a very heroic and glorious last stand and defense. Of Haley, so I, I thought that would be a great character to be yeah. that guy. I like that. Also, who doesn't want to just read hundreds of thriller books? Yeah, yeah. great yeah. life. Yeah, he's 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 a good guy. He's a, he's a good one. He's not a dreamy firefighter, but I guess he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll do. <laughs> so, are you a fairly prolific reader yourself, or do you try to avoid getting buried in? You know, I have stacks of books everywhere, either from you know my fellow authors or things I buy because I read, I hear about them, and and uh, I want to get to them. You know, I have a copy of Slow Horses on my on my bedstand <laughs> that I I've barely cracked. It's a it's a hard thing, you know, because um, I, you know, I'm sitting in front of the computer when I'm writing. I'm sitting in a computer reading for hours, you know, especially when I'm when I'm rewriting and polishing. The last thing I want to do is read when I get off this computer. And then I do a, I read a fair amount of uh, of uh, nonfiction for research. So. You know, I hate to say I, I'm I'm not a prolific reader, but I, I so I try to it's like uh it's like pizza. You wanna make it <laughs> if you're gonna eat pizza, you wanna make sure it's really good pizza. Yep. Uh so yeah, I mean I mean the last and, and it's hard for me to really find a book I love. Like um uh the the book I that that I just absolutely devoured most recently was uh, like uh, I'm afraid to say it was a fair amount of time ago. It was a, probably about a year and a half ago. I read and I, I tend to read outside my genre, and this was a more of a literary novel. I read Jonathan Franzen's Crossroads, and that that takes place in a you know in the 70s, which is when I was a you know young teenager in America and. I just love his writing. I mean, his writing just absolutely, you know, I don't feel like I'm reading writing. I'm just really kind of experiencing um, the world and characters that he creates. And so I love that book. And I've loved all his books. And so I always look forward to his next book, which are fairly infrequent as it is in the Mm -hmm. literary fiction world. But in, in sort of the genre, in my genre, I guess the book I, I like the most recently it's something short of love i would call it a a strong like um uh or love ish uh was um sitting on fire the i'm i like don winslow's stuff so mm. uh, and i'm anxious to get to the second book in that trilogy and i've got to ask as well because i love a non-fiction book are there any non-fiction books you've read recently or not recently that you've 
really, really enjoyed. Oh, well, I'm currently kind of dipping into, I was hoping to be able to read more with this break, but it's been busy, but I'm, I've been reading a, a I am, I don't, I can't remember the author, but uh, I'm reading a biography of, uh, of um, Edgar Allan Poe. Really fascinating. Oh, wow. oh fantastic. <laughs> really, yeah. really weird. I can Real imagine. Quirky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love him. He's, he's just amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm reading that, reading a, a Poe biography. Fascinating. Mm. Well, another question that we ask every author we speak to, which maybe you won't have such a strong opinion on if you don't read a huge amount of crime yourself, but is there a typical sort of crime genre trope that pops up in novels repeatedly that you, I was going to say, hate or that you're sick of? I think, well, this might be more of a, I don't know if this is a more of a crime TV thing. You can tell me mm-hmm. if this happens as much in crime books, but I imagine <laughs> it does. But it's the barfing rookie detective in the morgue. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, yes. The or at the crime scene for the first time as well. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, if I write that scene, it's going to be like he's going to. And I wouldn't do like the forensic guy who's like eating his sub sandwich either, because I've seen that a billion yes. times. So there's, there's got <laughs> to be some body. other way to play that scene. And. And that's what's so great about writing is like you get to that scene, you go, you need to, you know, for the, you know, the, you need that forensic morgue scene. And it's like, so how are we going to do that differently? And so that's, that's mm-hmm. the fun of writing. That's yeah, that first definitely. draft. And it's like, it's like morgue scene, you know, like it's the plot points, like some, you know, the, they pull the, the, you know, moth out of the ear or the nose, wherever mouth, I can't remember. <laughs> In silence of the lamps, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, so, but how to you know how to characterize the people in that scene is that's that's what's fun. Mm. If you can come up with new ideas, avoid those tropes. Mm. Yeah, definitely. If possible. Yeah. <laughs> She's looking at me now because she knows it's time for the question that. She doesn't. She likes me to ask it, okay? Because Frankie does it so well. She's a performer. By now, you're, now you're building it off, and it's going to be a romantic climax. <laughs> no, but I'll do my best. No pressure. <laughs> so, Chris, yes. I'm afraid I have some terrible news to okay. tell you. Uh, you have committed a terrible crime, so terrible and heinous, in fact, that you've been arrested, obviously, and you're getting the death penalty. <laughs> Oh my God. I know. First part of this question is what did you do, Chris, <laughs> to warrant this, this result? Uh, <laughs> I killed somebody and I can't specify who. Okay. Oh, smart. Yeah. Don't incriminate But I definitely yourself. killed them. Yeah. <laughs> There's no shadow of a doubt there. I noticed I said them too, because I'm I'm clever like that. You've no, you're masking it very well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you're not the first person to com- to confess to murder on this podcast, so don't worry, you're in good company. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's uh, you know, it's uh Yes. Um comes with the territory. Yeah, exactly. Somewhat. Okay, so you've committed murder to an unnamed uh individual mm-hmm. or maybe a group, we're not sure. Uh, Definitely individual. individual. Okay, that's nice. That's good. That's not so bad. But bad enough that you got the death penalty, I'm afraid. (laughs) But the good news is, it's not all doom and gloom for you, Chris, because we're going to make you the death row meal of your dreams. Hooray! Mm, Okay. (laughs) Are you a foodie person? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm not like, uh, uh, you know, a certain kind. I like, I like 
kind of normal food, but prepared really well, like see above comment about pizza. So, yeah. Okay. Well, to reassure you, Frankie and I will not actually be cooking it. We will just arrange for it to be cooked by someone amazing. We can, can, though. I mean, we're not bad. but. (laughs) But with that in mind, what would your death row meal be? Hmm. Well, given given the present company, I would mm-hmm. say I'm going to die, right? I'm definitely yeah, dying. Unfortunately, yeah. So yeah. I want fish and chips wrapped <laughs> in your favorite tabloid of the day. I don't care how much ink hmm. gets on that. Um, fish and <laughs> okay. Chips. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've got a favorite tabloid. I think <laughs> yeah. I hate them all equally, but you know. I don't know if you know much about the British tabloid press. They're not the best. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But but great for wrapping greasy food in there 100%. You go. Well, I think that, yeah, that, so. that's the proper commentary. Okay. Good choice. I haven't I think we've had fish and chips on the podcast before. I don't think so, but now I really want fish and chips. Yes, What's you're the, a pioneer. You're, yeah. <laughs> that's what you guys are gonna have for dinner tonight. What's uh what is the <sighs> What's the most standard response? Oh, I think we've had quite a lot of pastas. Yeah, pastas. we have. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had some roasts, some really good roast dinners mm. with everything as well. Yeah, most of the authors we speak to are British, yeah. so roast You'll dinners. You'll never get you know. the roast response from, I really <laughs> seriously doubt that. No one will say a really no. good roast. I was trying no. to think of other American or we have Robert Crace. He chose a massive apple pie so big that he could swim in it and get third degree burns. He said, "I think that was pretty much the exact word okay, he used." That's so. good. I would put some ice cream on that apple pie, but nice. Yeah, to cool the well, you cool can have dessert if you'd like. We can get you apple pie too, or an alternative. You don't have to have the one that he's been swimming in. Since uh, f- uh, flattery, or so, what is it? The, uh, the imitation is of something flattery, or whatever. Sincerest form. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. so I'm going to steal Robert's idea and uh, and this agglomerate uh, <laughs> onto mine. So after that, nice. that incredibly greasy fish and chips, then <laughs> I need some. I need a proper. Uh, pint with that for sure yeah okay and then wash it you know and then keep keep a little in the in the glass to wash down that apple pie and ice cream good choice sounds glorious Mm. whatever my housemate is making us for dinner tonight is going to be disappointing now so thank you throw it in the bin she'll be thrilled when i tell her (laughs) (laughs) what is this shit And also, what curious, what what kind of pints do you like? I like a. I'm more of a pilsner guy than a kind of a a dark stout. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'd probably go if I was depend. You know, if I'm being held uh, in, in a in a cell, um, yeah, in the Tower of London, they're like they're not keeping sure. people in the Tower of London anymore, are they? But anyway, this is this is all <laughs> well, fictional. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if I'm in a uh, in a in a slammer, and I would get a black and tan, I think with that nice. black and tan. Mm-hmm. Nice, good picks. I like yeah. that. So further good news that well, bad news first. You're now news. dead. Yeah, so. you're dead. Sorry. <laughs> Sad. Um, but one final bit of good news in relation to that: we will arrange for you to be buried with any book you please. What book do you want to take with you? Mm. Oh, after I've uh, been executed for for killing. Yeah, the warden is weirdly sentimental about books yeah. for some reason. He's yes. going to pop one in. <laughs> uh, a yeah. Magician Among the Spirits by Harry Ooh. Houdini. 
Oh. Because he's going to help me Frankie's communicate. I mean, that book will help me communicate from that world Smart. to this. I love it. Frankie hates magicians, but um, <laughs> now, pick, I think. now let's. People hate clowns, not magicians, Frankie. I, I have magicians. my reasons, Chris. But, but ultimately, though, Harry Houdini, he was all about proving that that they were all fakes, yes, weren't they? That's right. But the, this book was about. I, I think he did have embrace a certain spiritualism. Mm. Yeah, it no. was. He didn't like the other people who the you know the shameless charlatans, but he did believe in the afterlife yeah that makes sense you're going in prepared i like this i like these kinds of answers as well where people try and hack the system um fiona cummins another author we spoke to she took a book about how to become a vampire with her and it's like <laughs> that's, that's quite smart so like she comes, yeah <laughs> a woman after my like own that. heart and what <laughs> literally i mean what do, um what what are some other ideas that people have because it was a good question thanks we have um quite a few people take uh, favorite books from their childhood uh, we've had people take really massive massive books trying to get the most bang for their buck i yeah. can't think Eternity. of I someone think... say the complete works of shakespeare or jack dewars took uh, arabian nights because he thought he could that could see him down down the river sticks mm-hmm. yeah yeah or you could like go like uh ulysses because it would take an attorney to get through it there you yeah, go. exactly. Exactly that. <laughs> I just pissed off like a whole subset of your audience, your, your Joyce fanatics. I don't know if we attract that kind of highbrow crowd, to be honest with you, Chris. No, they checked out <laughs> many, many know. episodes yeah. ago. You never know. Here I was talking about Jonathan Franz, and so. Well, that's very, that's very judge true. Judge a book by yeah. its cover. Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. absolutely. Great. Amazing. Chris, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, I had a blast. Thank you, ladies. And Chris, oh. so when is the pub date for the UK for the devil you know? Oh, I think it's the 25th. Perfect. It's a humdinger, folks. Yeah, we very much recommend mm-hmm. it. Humdinger, indeed. Tra- chapter 25 wasn't too much for you, ladies? <laughs> We're we're of a strong stock in uh, England. (laughs) You know, you've heard what we've been through the last few years. Nothing shocks us anymore. Yeah, I was I was somewhat apprehensive. I mean, I I can't say I enjoyed it. I mean, but it was interesting to write that chapter, and and I had some reservations about it. So when I submitted the the manuscript to Emily, my editor, I was like. I just want to give you fair warning. You're going to know when you get to this certain <laughs> section that it gets pretty intense. And um, I can eat and I just I can easily, you know, I can take that out and or change it or tone it down or whatever. And and so when I got her her editorial letter, I like frantically like went through it trying to see like, <laughs> you know, her, her notes on Chapter 25. Not a word about it. And really? in fact, there Brilliant. was a note about She's another tough. potentially graphic uh, graphically violent scene and she was like why do we cut away from this scene why don't we get to see it i'm like okay i guess chapter oh, wow. 25 was okay then is she okay wow and i mean if that's not the ultimate tease to go and buy the book to find out what's happening in chapter yeah. 25 people listening you've got to do it now surely mm-hmm. and no page in ahead you got to work your way into that one no page in ahead. <laughs> very much so don't go to the bookstore and just open the book to chapter 25 no. that would be that's cheating that's we don't do that cheating yeah absolutely 
And Chris, where can people find you online to follow you? By the way, your promotional book videos, as I mentioned in the bio, are brilliant. Uh, you got Freddy Krueger to endorse your book. I really That's did. pretty cool. Oh, that was so much fun <laughs> doing that. That was a blast. It's great. I am on Twitter. I am on, at, at, at least as of 10:57 uh, a.m. Monday, May fifteenth. <laughs> I think Twitter is still operating. Uh, and I'm on the yeah. Facebook, and I am on Instagram. And Chris Hottie at, you know, it very easily, very easily found. And please do follow and do engage. Perfect. I give away lots of stuff on Ooh. at least Twitter. Like from your house. Or... Yeah, I give, I give stuff away on Twitter. Okay. Excellent. Another great reason to follow Chris on Twitter, not just for the great videos. That's right. Get on Free there. stuff. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back very soon with another episode of the Red and Berry podcast. Sarah, where can people find us and how can they email us? You can find us at Red and Berry podcast on all the social medias or most of the social medias. That'll do. And you can email us at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you yes. again, Chris. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll speak to you all very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. My name is Tony Black, podcaster and author. And I'm here to tell you about Partisan, a podcast about politics and history in film and entertainment. I'll be joined by guests as we discuss films, TV shows, and maybe a little bit more examining political and historical topics such as how Elvis intersects with black cultural history. In Lerman's film, the idea of the black characters are maybe kind of, they're used as catalysts to basically move Elvis forward in his career. I think that that's how I saw it. The rise and fall of Richard Nixon. It seems to be historians seem to agree with this, is that he was the first president that really capitalize on the evangelical vote and politicize them the disturbing class satire in society and much much more partisan is free to download on apple Podcasts, spotify or your podcast app of choice and you can follow us on facebook and twitter at partisan pod i hope you'll vote with your feet and join us on the journey